0: Delving into the Lake Show library uh, today with uh, author, actor, comedian, radio presenter, you name know it. Michael Beach is on the line. Hello, Michael. How are you?
1: Good. Hey, Kev, Good to talk to you. Yeah, lovely
0: to talk to you too about this uh, great new book you got called Turning Point, uh, which yeah. uh, is fascinating. But uh, I guess before we before you to the actual book, let's talk about your fascination with uh, with all things sort of uh, uh, to do with uh, fighting uh, in terms of airplane uh, fighter pilot fighting and 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 World War Two. Where'd that all come from? Oh.
1: I've never really known, I've never really had a, a good answer to that question. I just can imagine I've been uh, I've been asked. It's yeah. not normal for a comedian, someone who's started off in comedy to uh, uh, do something like this. I've always had an interest. I think when I was growing up, um, I just was enjoyed the stories of what these fellows did. Uh, and, you know, when I was a kid, they were about the age I am now, really, yeah. so they were sort of, lucid and unlike today no one is really interested in what they've done in, in this incredible period of history and so I used to kind of you know like kind of chatting to these old fellas who had this extraordinary period in their youth where they saw amazing history but no one was ever recording it so how it all came about was that my mate Peter Wilmot who's a terrific journalist yep. was uh, doing the biography of um the late great Tim uh, Tingwell, and um and Bud was a fighter pilot during the Second World War. He flew Spitfires. Not many people knew that, but mm. he's knew him from his you know days on, uh, you know, um, the castle, and he was one of the voices in the Thunderbirds all those years ago too. Bud, he was a fabulous fellow. But his wartime, not many people know about. So Pete Wilmoth, uh, my journal mate from the Age, was doing his book, the story of his life, and he contacted me saying, look. I'd about all the technical stuff I don't know, like I don't know, like, you know, a Mark Seven aeroplane or a twenty millimeter this or that. Could you translate for me? And so I was doing it over lunch and I started sort of going on about what I knew about it and I think we both had the idea at the same time to oh, you should you know so much about this, you should do your own book. So I said, Yeah, I think uh-huh. I should. And so what happened is that um I just basically contacted his publisher, which was Macmillan Publishers, and said, look, I've got this idea to go around and meet all these old fellas who are getting on now, and this was in 2007. And the idea is to put all their untold stories, I mean, I really know mainly about the Air Force blokes, and I know how to talk to them, because I've done it for many years, and getting some of their stories into a book, and the publisher said, yeah, go for it. So that became the first book, Flack, Um, and then I did two more books of interviews, and then varied in my writing a bit, and I've done a uh, last year. I brought out a book on um, called Hell Hellship about the sailing ship that my ancestors arrived on in Australia, called Ticonderoga, which was a which was a, 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 a hellish, infamous uh, story in its time, but now lost to history because the the boat was riddled with typhus, and a uh, hundred died, and then another hundred died in the the new quarantine station down at Portsea. But the hero was was the young ship's doctor, who was my great great grandfather.
0: Yeah, that that's a really interesting thing about this is there there seems to be like a, almost a cord uh, right through a whole lot of this, of these books that you've done uh, that uh, that is a personal attachment.
1: Well, yes, there, there there often is. I mean, I'm not a historian, Kevin. I, I don't really, you know, I, I'm a storyteller. Yeah. I. And that's what my dad was, too, because m- both my mother and my father were journalists. Yep, your dad on the Argus, I, I believe, sort
0: of, and your mum on the Women's right. Weekly.
1: That's right. That's right. Oh, you've done your research, as I would expect from an <laughs> eminent such as yourself, Kevin Hillier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, um, and, and here's, uh, here's a little irony. As a girl, or, you know, young, young woman, I should say, my mother was, uh, was writing on the Australian Women's Weekly during the war the last years of the war. She was only 19 or 20, but she interviewed a couple of the English uh, RAF Spitfire pilots that came out here and were operating in Darwin. In 2010, for my second book, which was called Fly, I interviewed the same man that my mother had interviewed. Yeah, that <laughs>
0: um,
1: is, wow. And we only realized about a year later and I rang him back and said, do you remember me? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you remember my mother? He said, what? Well, <laughs> in 1945, you did an interview for the Women's Weekly in Adelaide. Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> so, and he said that a lovely young dark haired, raven haired beauty <laughs> um, spoke to me. and said, that was my mum. And he nearly fell over. It was, uh, and it was so sad. My mum wasn't around anymore to hear that story, yeah, but that's yeah. the way things go. Yeah, exactly. So then I, so the, the, the hell ship book came out and um, I've done two more because the veterans of the war are really all, all, all but gone now. So it's, but a lot of their voices were recorded when they did interviews for the war memorial in the eighties and things like that. So, but so this leads us to turning point, yep. which is really the second volume of a book I did a couple of years ago. Cause this is my ninth book turning point. So, a couple of years ago, I did a book called 44 Days, which was about the long-lost story of the amazing David and Goliath air defence of Port Moresby yep. in early forty two before the Americans came into it in a significant way. And all we had was one tiny squadron thrown together weeks before they were sent into action from scratch of um, kitty hawks, of young kitty hawk pilots that was sent up to, to uh, Port Moresby to hold off the rampaging Japanese who had not suffered a defeat anywhere at this stage of the war at the hands of anyone. So we were sent up there. Um, but, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it was an amazing story. But turning points what happened to that squadron and the army, of course, a few months later at a place called Milne Bay, which is on the far eastern tip of. New Guinea and it's almost again I mean I I, I like digging up um, sort of lost forgotten stories with significance and Milne Bay is Australia's lost battle of the Second World War and it was was incredibly important because it was an attempt by the Japanese to take Port Moresby um, from the east because they were already attacking it across the Kokoda Track from yep. the north. This was their attempt to um, establish, an air for, uh, establish an air strip, an air base, uh, not far from Moresby at this little place called Milne Bay. And uh, but unbeknownst to them, in July '42, the Australians and the Americans had in secret built a base before they could get there. So the Japanese decided, oh, well, we'll just take it then. So they landed a contingent of several hundred Japanese marines who are elite soldiers on the shores of this desolate malaria ridden mud infested tropical bay mm, with a like, rainfall of sounds like a good going. place
0: it sounds like yeah a holiday resort not holiday
1: resort uh, not yeah. uh in in fact s- s- some of the comments that the soldiers particularly made about their observations of the place uh, are quotes like uh if 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 God had made an enema, he would have shoved it in at Milne Bay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a beautiful quote, isn't it? That is a river Yeah,
1: and uh, I guess the rainfall is what did it. Has this extraordinary rainfall, something like two meters a year, uh, which is more than most other parts of, of uh, New Guinea. Uh, Port Moresby, in fact, was relatively dry, but Milne Bay was an absolute quagmire. So for 10 days and nights, but mainly at night, the Australians, because it was only Australians, it was two brigades, one a a militia brigade and another an an AIF brigade, militia being reservists, essentially, sort of boys that were raised from battalions in Queensland and some from Tassie and South Australia who had never fought anywhere. uh, So that was their first time in action. And the other brigade, I think, was the um, um, 18th, uh, or the 7th, I get them mixed up, I think it's the 18th, who had fought over in the desert, fighting the Italians in the desert. So they had no experience of what they were getting into in, in the tropics. But they fought them off. They fought the these unconquerable, or what were thought to be unconquerable Japanese soldiers and fought them to a standstill. Um, over one of the unfinished airstrips at Milne Bay in this incredible climax of the battle that came on about the fourth or fifth day, which was like something out of World War I. The Japanese tried to, in the middle of the night, three in the morning, they tried to storm across this, uh, this, this uh, um, um, unfinished airstrip. It was just cleared for it. But they didn't get it. Not one of them managed to get to the other side. It was a massacre, really. And that was when the pendulum swung back and the Australians then for the next few days pushed pushed back, pushed the Japanese back yeah. to where they'd embarked uh, a, a week earlier to give them their first absolutely unquestioned defeat of the war where they had to get back on the ships that actually dropped them off and sail away. Now, it was unprecedented and people forget this. People forget that the first defeat, the first... Um, the first proper defeat uh, of the Japanese what was inflicted by Australians during the war at at Milne Bay.
0: Do you know? Have you been able to discover in in your in your sort of uh, digging into this why that uh, why why this? Uh, I know it was, it's been talked about. It's not like it's a, a complete secret, but it's never been kind of uh, lifted to the to the levels of Kokoda. Uh, is there a reason why? <coughs> well,
1: um, Kokoda was a much bigger battle. Uh, it, it, well, K- but strategically, campaign, as significant,
0: this one was strategically as significant, wasn't it?
1: It was. It, it, it was. Uh, it was wrapped up in a much shorter time frame. Um, the numbers were smaller. It was, uh, uh, but yeah it's been i think that's the reason because it's sort of been overshadowed by the great dakota campaign because remember for years kevin we didn't even know about the dakota campaign yeah that's true it, it was all kind of um you know it was it was um uh all 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 these great feats of australian uh military uh, uh ingenuity were not really known to australian in, in, in fact i i actually a shout out to Paul Keating because back in his day, he was the first fellow that actually said, look, we really should be, you know, the, the, and that, that's when it changed. And Keating was instrumental in this. Keating uh, said we shouldn't call it the Kokoda Trail because it used to call the Kokoda Trail. Yeah. Call it the Kokoda Track. The trail is an American term that we don't use. And it's when he was saying about, you know, when, when he got himself into great trouble, basically saying that, uh, you know, the British basically abandoned us at Singapore, which is partially true. There is some truth in, in that. It wasn't quite as, <laughs> as simple as that. But he also said, we really should be remembering our own feats and, and celebrating our own feats like what happened at Kokoda. So people did start to realize, my God, this is incredible what we managed to do there. in in the jungles because the consequences were absolutely terrifying. I've never been of the belief that Australia would have or even could have been actually invaded. The Japanese had no means to, to actually do that and they knew it, but all they had, but they didn't have to invade Australia to knock us out of the war. All they had to do was isolate us and to isolate us, they needed the port hub of Moresby. Mm. Uh, which is a fabulous deep water port into which you could fit every ship of every navy in the world, just about. But if they had had that as a central hub with its associated airstrips, they could have controlled the sea lanes because J- Japan had a massive navy. People forget this, um, one of the biggest navies in in the world. If they could control the sea lanes to our north from Moresby, we would effectively be isolated, and that's all they needed to do to 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 continue there. Um, their what their plans were to establish their empire in the southwest Pacific. Now, once they failed to get Moresby, there was no way that they could actually win because the, the Americans could, could, could come in in, in numbers and the, the war was gradually pushed further to the, the, the north. But this hub of Moresby was essentially taken from them by the two battles, by the two campaigns, of Kokoda and Milne Bay, Milne Bay being the second one. So, and it's a question of scale, I think, um, uh, in in why the Milne Bay battle has been slightly forgotten. But it shouldn't be because we, we one of VC, well, one of the few VCs that we won in the Pacific was one at Milne Bay on about the last day when a, a young hairdresser from Melbourne, a guy called John French did an extraordinary feat where he basically (laughs) was pinned down was getting, a lot of these VC guys, you know if you read their story, they said, look the reason I did did what I did, I I wasn't feeling brave I was just sick of it (laughs) I was sick of being pinned down in the mud I said, look, I'm probably going to get killed anyway, I'll bloody give it a go, I'll try and take this bugger out, and so he charged a machine gun nest killed the Japanese there, then charged another one, and killed that one. And the third one, he came back with more ammunition. And his mate said, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? So, <laughs> oh, well, two out of three. He said said, no, no, John, no, don't. Don't. Come on, mate. Let's just leave it at two out of three. And he, he and said, he didn't, and he was killed. Yeah. But that was at Milne Bay on, on, on the second last day of Milne Bay. Wow. But the, the blokes who fought there had a terrible time. Uh, it was a dreadful, uh, very, very close quarter, hand to hand fighting. The Japanese were atrocious in what they did, not only to our men, there were no survivors on either side who were taken prisoner at Milne Bay. There, oh. there was a there was a big action at a, a mission station called KB Mission, about a couple of dozen Australians were taken prisoner. All were butchered brutally. Um what the Japanese did to the native Papuans in the villages there that they overrun is unspeakable. So much so that the Prime Minister John Curtin actually instigated a royal commission, it was called the Webb Report, that he got the Chief Justice of Queensland to examine the extent of Japanese atrocities, because it was the first time we'd come face-to-face with them. Yeah. Um, um, or I mean, Kokoda was happening too, but this was really right in our faces, because they were absolutely brutal, and sadistic and completely bewildering to the Australian soldiers. And I say this in the book and they couldn't understand, and we still can't understand why the Japanese were so ghastly and sadistic and cruel in the way they fought their war. Half the time it just didn't make any sense. Um, And this is the first time that we'd come up against it. Uh, So that fellows that fought at Milne Bay fought in these dreadful conditions uh, against a brutal and ruthless enemy that gave no quarter. Uh, and then their battle was largely forgotten yeah. after the war. I mean, it was bad enough for the Kokoda fellows, but the people who were at Milne Bay said, well, no one knows about us. Uh, and so a couple of books have, 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 have come out. But this is why I wanted to write this, because it's such an important story in uh, most of the books that have come out uh, are, for, uh, are sort of for the military people. They're very kind of facts and figure military base. But I always want to try and get the human stories of a battle because battles are fought by people and people have their own stories.
0: Yeah, no, I too couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a, a story that uh, that needed to be told, and uh, you've told it beautifully in Turning Point, The Battle for Milne Bay. Uh, and is, you mentioned this is your ninth book. Is Are you working already on another one? Are you having a rest or what are you doing?
1: Well, um, if I do another Second World War, I I, I really think the s- stories of our fellows in the Pacific is, is 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 interesting, and so many stories haven't been told. The Battle of the Bismarck Sea is is an interesting one, so I might get on uh, the next couple of years. But um, a couple of publishers actually want me to do a a, a bit of a biography, a bit of a, a bit of a memoir, ah. growing up in growing up in the suburbs and a few early showbiz stories of. Degeneration and full frontal, and uh, and uh, putting a bit of a kind of a comic twist to it. It would be have a comic twist to it anyway, I should think. Oh, I would
0: think so. so. That's
1: what I'm thinking of doing. Yeah. Oh,
0: lovely. <laughs> oh, that'd be, that'd I'm be, much uh, too young. I'm much, much too young to be <laughs> writing my autobiography. <laughs> don't uh, yes. <laughs> and don't you have people to do that, Michael? Isn't that how it works? Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> start start uh, running hot and cold around here. I wonder. I wonder,
0: You mentioned the DJM, which are who I worked with, obviously at at uh, at Triple M in the day, uh, and right. which was just after you, after you left the group in terms of the radio part of the group, uh, because yes. uh, uh, Kelvin Cunnington, obviously, was was a character that uh, that was was <laughs> massive and is still big with a couple of my more, you know, um, uh, how would I call them, uh, juvenile friends. Um, you well,
1: know, <laughs> just between you and and, and now can be reveal, you know, Kelvin Cunnington was based on our mutual colleague, Peter O'Callaghan. Ah, the late, great Peter O'Callaghan. The late, great Peter O'Callaghan. He was a lovely fella, but, but Pete, was, uh, Pete was our panel operator yeah. for ages, and Pete would laugh at our jokes when we were doing the, de- the jokes and on the, uh, well, were you there when it was E.ON, Kevin?
0: No, I, was, well, I got there when Triple M.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, when well, we did the we did the changeover from where, when it was Eon FM into yep. Triple M, and and Kevin, uh, sorry, you're, you're Kevin. Uh, Peter O'Callaghan was a panel operator going across both stations, and he would sit there, and he was our audience. Yep. He was great. So, and 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 he had this very particular <laughs> and a laugh. Yeah. And he would laugh at inappropriate times, and so that was the genesis of um of old Kelvin Cunnington. And yes. I, I kind of miss Kelvin. I mean, I kind of, you know, you know, the um, silly dribbling, um, um, <laughs> juvenile idiot yes. that he was. But every office has one.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I got a couple of uh, podcasts that have them uh, as as my co presenters. Um, do do you miss do you miss that side of it? Uh, in terms of the, of, or you you're happy to be, you know, just uh, sort of. Uh, in the Yarra Valley, sipping a, a nice little a cheeky little red and uh, enjoying uh, Well,
1: I, no, I'm quite busy. I do books. I, I, we, we have a touring uh, theatre company. Um, in, in fact, uh, the book I was alluding to started to talk about Hell Ship, which is about the story of um, my um, grandfather, uh, sorry, great-great-grandfather, that's a touring one-man show, and we're um, that's been on the road for a bit, and we're doing an extensive national tour of it next year. Oh, so good. get onto the Welsh, get onto the hillship, HillshipTayconderoga dot com, where we're doing the Port Ferry Folk Festival next year, oh, and a good. season in uh, season in Melbourne, and uh, in Brisbane, and Canberra, and all sorts of other places. Besides, um, we've got three or four little. Um, my, my partner and I run a an outfit called Chester Communications and Chester Creative, it's called now. And we have three or four. I've teamed up with my old mate, John Wood, you know, from uh, yes. uh, Blue Heeler Days. And we've got a couple of uh, theatre projects in the pipeline and um, oh, we do all sorts of things. We run writers' festivals and all sorts of things. So I do keep busy up yeah, in no, the beautiful I know that. Yarra Valley. Now, when, <laughs> you
0: do, when you're touring a show with uh, with your son playing... playing uh, That's correct. Yeah. Was that the
1: flag? That was Flack. No, it wasn't Flack. This is Hellship. So my son will be touring with me, uh, particularly when we do a week at forty-five downstairs in March next year. So um, watch out for that. Maybe I'll. Hit you up again for a chat about that? When Absolutely, we're to it, Kevin.
0: Be more than more than happy to have a chat. I've, uh, <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed having this chat, and thoroughly enjoyed. I think uh, I think some of these stories that uh, that have been lost uh, need to be told for a, for a number of reasons. Obviously, because they celebrate uh, and uh, and acknowledge the contribution that people have made, but also really important stories about uh, about where we are as a country, and and we can't kind of keep pushing these things underneath the carpet. They need to be told these stories, that no matter how uh, how confronting they can be, in in some in in some form they should be told well, you've, t- you've told it beautifully
1: particularly for kids too i mean, for kids who have because history is not really taught much in schools in the way it used to be and particularly our, our own history isn't isn't taught yep. at all um uh and I, I just i know you have to go but just the, the last chapter of the book is my visit to tokyo where i go to the tokyo army museum and it's all oh, very whiz bang but all the information about what Japan did during the Second World War is completely wrong and skewed, and watching these young Japanese kids reading about their own history, that they've got no idea, absolutely no idea. So for the youth of our former enemies and for the youth of our own youth, I think it is important to keep yeah. these stories going.
0: I think there's writing history, and then there's unfortunately rewriting history.
1: Oh, yes. Well, history that, in their case, wasn't written down in the first place, yeah. but then rewritten. Oh, it's that, That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. It's <laughs> Absolutely, a, probably an important one.
0: Hey, Michael, it'd been lovely to catch up with you. Thanks so much for your time, and good luck uh, with this book, Turning Point. And, uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk in the new year when you uh, when you're back on the road.
1: Oh, that'd be great, Kevin. I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Mate. Thank you.